The Business Buzz Podcast. The, the Business Buzz. Good evening and welcome to The Business Buzz for your weekly dose of business, finance and economics news right here on Voice of Vets FM 88.1, broadcasting live from our studios in Bromfontein, Johannesburg. My name is Klingi Welondi Wezondo and I will be your host for tonight. Who said business can't be entertaining. Hold on to your seats as we unpack educational entertainment for your growth. Today, we are going to be talking about corporate ethics. Um, at a time or another, we've all benefited from a well-led discussion on ethics. So today, we're hoping to shed some light on the subject of corporate ethics and the dilemmas that come with it. Hopefully, we're all going to walk away with a bit of clarity around ethics and we'll be able to assess for ourselves and our business environment what constitutes as ethical and how to apply it in, in, consistently within our business environment. So we're going to have a chat with Nkosana Magate, who's the Please Call Me founder. And we're also going to get Vodacom's perspective and viewpoint on the current saga that's playing itself out currently in the media. And we're also going to talk and get a business perspective from Josi Dipokwane. I hope I'm getting his name correct. He'll correct us later on if need be. And last but not least, we're also going to get to hear the, the voices of the people from the ground. We're also going to touch on in the next hour the business wrap as well as the business index. And remember, if you are listening right now, that on, we are available on the follow, following social media platforms. On Facebook, we are Vow FM, Voice of Vits, and Vits Radio Academy. On Twitter, we are at Vow FM, and our hashtag is Business Buzz. On WhatsApp, you can touch base with us on 084-078-4912. And our podcasts of the show are available on www.vits.journalism.co.za slash business. Make sure to keep growing with us right here on 88.1 Vow FM until 8pm. Next up, we have Zanele Kunene with us on the Business Wrap. You're tuned in to the Business Buzz. So we're just going to wrap things up a little bit, twist things up, and uh, we're going to start off first with the Buffalo Index. And remember, this is the part of the show when we inform you on the state of your 100 rand. And based on today's topic, we are going to be looking at a couple of business ethic books. So, And these are intended to equip you with knowledge and skills required to understand ethics in uh, the business environment as well as various professions. And first, we have a book called Business Ethics, the fifth edition, which is by Dion Rousseau and Leon Fanfuren. And it touches on what do ethics make? Why, why, why do ethics make business sense? Uh, what are the social responsibilities around um, ethics and business? What's the role of ethics within corporate governance? How should organizations manage ethics from within? And giving the growing emphasis on corporate governance, you know, the book also touches on, you know, business ethics and business practitioners, you know, as it addresses key ethical ish- issues affecting uh, corporates. The fifth edition also tracks the global development developments uh, in areas such as corporate ethical culture and highlights the relevance thereof within the Southern African context. This is going to set you back about five buffaloes, so you might want to be ready to part with around 519 rand. And this is available on takealot.com. The second book is titled Understanding Business Ethics, and this is an ebook by Peter Stanwin. And in this book, you learn topics such as stakeholders and uh, corporate social responsibility. It speaks to corporate governance and corporate compliance. It touches on ethics and the environment and healthcare um, and ethics and a whole lot more. And this will set you back by 3.25 buffaloes, so that's 325 rands. And these are shipped like in five to seven working days. So in a week, your whole outlook on on ethics could could change uh, totally. Um, We're going to touch a little bit more on, on the business wrap and we're going to chat shortly to uh, Zanele Gunene who is our uh, financial expert from BDO Wealth Advisors. Good evening, Zanele, and welcome to our very first live show for the year. Oh, hey, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Zanele. How are you? I'm feeling, I don't know if this is a feeling, but you let me know. <laughs> so the finance minister of Botswana, um, he announced that in 2020, he hoped or he's planning on ensuring that Botswana has a surplus in their budget. So in the past three years, they've been having a deficit. So can you imagine how that can make anyone feel excited and optimistic? Like, yes, absolutely. Okay, this is what we're doing as a country. 
But tonight I wanted to speak about something that's not too optimistic. Mm -hmm. Um, According to all of the headlines, the South African Business Index results. So for January of 2019, the index results came at 95.1. And in January of 2018, they were at 95.5, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people are like, oh my goodness, it decreased, what's going on? But you must understand that in January of 2018, what was happening? What was the climate? You know, because, you know, everything has an environment. The environment influences what happens. What happens. For example, if you're studying for a, a test, a semester test, you're not that, you know, wow. But when you come to an exam, you're like, hey, hey, hey I must study. So the, the, the atmosphere or the climate of whatever, the climate of the, the climate of whatever's happening really determines what happens, if I'm making any sense. I hope I am. So in January of 2018, um, we had Ramaphoria. You know, everyone was yeah. excited. Mm. Investors were happy. You know, it was just one of those. It was just an exciting time. South Africa was living up to that name, you know, Africa's most industrialized economy. You know, we were that it. So that is why the business confidence was that high in January of 2018. Now, come January of 2019, you know, we don't have that Ramaphoria. You know, we don't have that excitement. You know, everyone is waiting just to hear what's going to be happening in the sauna, which is happening tonight, as well as what's going to be happening in the budget speech. So all of us are just waiting. You know, the business the business conscience index is not really, you know, something to worry about. Don't mm-hmm. be like, oh my gosh, it's low. It's really not. Um, in December, we were at 95.2, and even now we're at 95.1. Yeah. So it's not something to to worry about that much but you know we are hoping even tonight i'm hoping to hear if ramaphosa will say anything about how he will support businesses and how he will make south africa more attractive to investors so that that could push our business confidence index a bit higher and we have been looking forward to the budget speech that's going to be happening on the 20th of february um to hear what are they going to say what reforms are they going to have and how how are they going to split everything together I know that personally um, for the budget speech and even for tonight, I want to hear about what's going to happen with the unemployment rate in South Africa. You know, what? how are they planning on solving it? What are the plans for that? And I know that everyone else or all the other economists out there are hoping to hear about the projected GDP results for, uh, not results, but the projected, projected GDP data that um, Ramaphosa will be touching on tonight and Peter Mbolini will touch on on the 20th of what, what, how are they seeing South Africa's growth um, in terms of our uh, our output. Yeah, uh, I mean, Zanele, like what do this like these indices what do they mean to like the you know the average person on the streets like how should you know should they take these into consideration how do they impact people's lives on the ground so the African business index what it helps with is it lets you see the the um the state in which businesses are thinking so if our index is high it means that Businesses are saying, yes, we are opening our doors, we are expanding, we are open to employment, we are mm-hmm. open to, you know, going big mm-hmm. and, how, and, 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 and contributing even more to the economy. But when our business index is low, then that means that businesses are contracting. It means that they are not, they are not opening, they are not open to employment opportunities. And just to touch on um, employment opportunities and just business in a sense, you know, Transform has been going through the most. My goodness. Um, so, with ESCOM, which is our largest energy supplier within South Africa, and they are proposing now to increase um, to increase the tariff by about four times above the inflation rate. Mm. So, if you imagine this for a business, if a business, if you have a small business and you've hired about twenty to fifty people, and he has to now pay a higher rate for electricity, that means that now he's going to have to retrench a few people, you know, to meet the cost. So now you've got this this individual who's going to be unemployed and he's going to be going back into his household. And if you're unemployed, what do you rely on mostly? You rely on debt. So that household debt increases. So when it comes to the business index, it allows you to connect the dots to say, if why aren't businesses doing good? If businesses aren't going, doing good, it means households are being affected by that, um, by that fact. So it's so this 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 tariffs like who is it going to apply to is it is it across the board is it you know is it specific areas like who this this tariff who does it apply to So it goes across um all the sectors and then it is 
yeah, it goes across all the sectors. So if you're looking at your energy, your mining, all the sectors is what it's looking at. And that's why it's very important for us to look at that because all of us are in different sectors. You know, not everyone is doing finance or everyone's doing um, pharmaceuticals. So it looks across the board in that sense. Thank you so much, Zanele, for our weekly dose of business wisdom. And after this, we chat more about business ethics. You're tuned in to the Business Buzz. Welcome back to the Business Buzz. And remember, today we are talking corporate ethics. Um, so, and, and for those that are re- just joining us on the, on, on the line, we're going to be talking a bit to, to Ngosana um, Makade, who is uh, the Please Call Me uh, founder or creator. And we're also going to be chatting a bit to Vodacom as well as Josi, who's going to give us a business perspective on the issue of corporate ethics. And on social media, we are available at VowFM, Voice of Vits, and The Business Buzz. On Twitter, we are at VowFM, and our hashtag is business buzz now the business buzz endeavors to bring you personal content and this is no truer than through the the current uh that we just touched on which is currently playing itself out quite publicly at the moment uh vodacom started the please call me service in 2001 and in 2014 a judgment in the south african gauteng high court so, um, supported makati's claim to having originated uh, please call me um it, it also rejected former ceo ellen uh not craig's claim that he had come up with the idea of the messaging service yet the high court found against makate that uh, Chesla had not had the authority to uh, to promise makate such co- compensation and that the debt would have expired in legal terms had um, within three years had that legality been uh, um, finalized. Makate appealed this in uh, in court and it was later found in, at the Constitutional Court in 2016 in April um, by uh, Justice uh, Chris Jafter um, in, in Makate's favor and against um, Vodacom. So what we did was we touched base with Vodacom and we had Lexi Ball who's the media relations representative and she responded with a press statement uh, that was released at the Please Call Me conference that was held on the 1st of February in 2019 and in summary, it says that they are ready and willing to pay Mr. Uh, Makate a substantial amount of money, the exact amount of which they are unable to disclose as they are bound by confidentiality. They also mentioned that Mr. Makati plans to take uh, the substantial offer placed on the table under review and that he'll be taking... Um, the CEO's, CEO's determination on review to court. Uh, and then they said, most importantly, they want to de-escalate tensions, which is which, if not managed by all the parties concerned, could threaten jobs and the livelihood, as well as the investment into South Africa. So um, let's chat to Mr. Makaten in a few. So uh, that was Vodacom's side of the story. And we... Because we're just unfair, we want to hear what Mr. Makati has to say. Um, so welcome to the show, Mr. Makati. Thank, thank you, madam. How are you? Thank you so much for making time to chat to us this evening. Yes. So um, on to our first question. So according to Vodacom, they say that uh, the matter was resolved as early as the 12th of January and that they only needed you to confirm your banking details to finalize payment, of which you denied. Can you please just give us context and background on that? Yeah, well, what had happened is that uh, you remember that there was a Bloomberg article uh, wherein Vodacom indicated that I have been paid. Uh, and and when I then came out and then responded that, no, I, I was not paid. And then they changed tune and said, no, they are waiting for my bank account. Um, so that that is really the truth around the story. So the issue of the bank account. Uh, was only raised uh, in response to my response saying that I was not paid. Uh, but I mean, where, where we are now is that the CEO has made uh, his determination uh, and that determination is, uh, according to them, it's not supposed to be uh, accepted or whatever. Um, it's a final determination, according to him. So he has fulfilled the obligations that were placed to him. Uh, by the Constitutional Court. And uh, he is, in essence, uh, a functionary of a court. You know, he's like a judge. And and those kind of decisions, you then can then take them to a higher level, which is a court, 
Uh, we have not decided whether we are going to the Constitutional Court or we are going to the High Court. But we have uh, communicated that we are taking his determination to a review. There also seems to be a contention around the true inventor of the Please Call Me service. I mean, Vodacom has admitted that Please Call Me was invented and subsequently patented by MTN before you came up with the idea. According to them, um, Ari Khan came up with the idea before you did and MTN went on to file um, an IP protection and launch the service um, on the 23rd of January in 2001, seven weeks before Vodacom did. So according to this, um, someone like Khan believes that you shouldn't even get a cent. I mean, as your idea is not original. What do you say to that? No, no, no. I think that the, the facts were ventilated. The truth is, is actually the opposite. Uh, the Arikan patent, MTN patent, was uh, a subject of the court uh, uh, dis- discussions and ventilation. It was put before my U.S. expert, Mr. Zakovic, uh, who was able to demonstrate to the court that uh, those are fundamentally two different uh, products. Uh, and that the AMT invention actually is not uh, uh, what Mr. Arikan is uh, claiming to be. And I mean, AMT uh, is also on record. If you have seen my statement that I issued on Twitter uh, on this matter, uh, I do have a confirmation from MTN that their product was an IVR product, which was a different product uh, from from the Vodacom product. And I mean, the former CEO of Vodacom, I mean, can fault him on many things, but he did uh, um, when this very same issue was put to him in the box under oath and explained that uh, the MTN uh, product was actually a clumsy product and they had to, they eventually had to copy Volcom's product. And the response that I had from from MTN uh, is aligned to that view uh, of the CEO, the former CEO, Mr. Mark Craig. And to ask rather naively, why did you not get uh, patent rights for the idea right from the beginning? And, um, you know, some are asking, why did you leave this for so long? Yeah, no, no, I I, I mean, I approached uh, uh, Vodacom, obviously, in good faith. Uh, you know, they were my former employers. I was a young man. I was 24 years old. Uh, the world of patents and all those things were unknown to me. Uh, and I mean, uh, I approached them in good faith, and we agreed on on partnering with each other to work uh, this thing and to make sure that uh, I'm never uh, removed from it in anyhow. So, but then what happened was the opposite, of course. We all know. I mean, that matter has gone through the court and stuff, and uh, them arguing that they never had a contract with me uh, up until it was um, uh, the high court. The high court actually found that there was a contract that we had we had concluded. And there were just those two technicalities that had to be done and dealt with. And the CS, I mean, the SCA then dismissed me, but the Concord then overturned that and basically changed law uh, in South Africa, provided us with the meaning uh, with regard to the description of that uh, in terms of the Prescription Act, which changed law as we know, as, as we knew it, you know. In, in their press release uh, that was on the 1st of February, uh, Vodacom, mm. uh, you know, claims that they didn't benefit from your contribution as the service was, uh, you know, a free service. Um, and what's, what's your take on that matter? No, uh, the, uh, the, the product, um, the please call me product, my please call me product that I proposed to Vodacom was indeed supposed to be perpetually free. And that has proved to be true for all the telcos that have since adopted the product. Uh, it was never supposed to be charged. That was intent. It was not a a, a a a mistake or anything. They actually never even understood it. They thought that they could charge 15 cents uh, for, for each and every USSD cent. I had to go and address that with Philip Geisler and tell him that, no, no, that's not the intention. If you do that, you'll kill this product. So this thing was saying it was never charged and whatever. It's hogwash. I mean, it was intended that way. And Vodacom, I mean, you know, uh, they, they keep on lying to the public. I mean, in their own pronouns, uh, even before the CC, I mean, they, their submissions are very clear. Go to the CC judgment. You'll see that Jephthah uh, J does say, and, and these were representations from Vodacom, that they've generated billions, I mean, of, 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 of rents uh, uh, with this product, you know, since it's, in, it's its inception. So it was intended to be free. I mean, let's not... Let's not the the, 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 the MTN product was not even a free product. It was just a normal IVR product that subscribers would pay for. It addressed a different market completely. It was not even talking to a market that I was talking to. So the please, the, the please call me that I invented 
was supposed to be perpetually free, and it has been like that. So it was true to the inventor, which is me. And and the revenue that was generated, was that primarily off those uh, adverts that were attached to the Peace Call Me's, or what was the source no. of the revenue? Yeah, the, the, source, the, the main source of revenue, I mean, go to not Craig's book, Second is Nothing. Uh, he tells you that the adverts were there, they did they did bring in some money. However, a chunk of the revenue of Peace Call Me comes from return calls, you know. Mm. The return calls actually were the target, the main source mm. uh, of revenue that I actually put forward. And also something you didn't know because you're not in the telcos, uh, which is called MTR, it's, it's interconnected. Uh, where in when you call and you, uh, the, uh, a Vodacom person from MTN, it drops on your network. And in that way, when it drops on Vodacom's network, they charge a fee, uh, which was significant revenue that Vodacom also generated from the product. Mm. So it's the main, the chunk of the money came from return calls, which I, I actually put down as, as where the money will come from. You know, the Concord ruled that Vodacom should pay you a reasonable amount determined by the CEO and that you don't uh, necessarily have to agree on the amount. Does this then not bring finality to the issue legally? Um, what happens now? Yeah. Now, I mean, people people must read the, the Concord order in full. Um, I don't know what's your name. I need to call you your name. Thank you. you. Are? Thank you, Azond. Thank you. Thank yes. you. People need to, to, to uh, read the, the order in full, yeah? The order starts with uh, an agreement that is binding between a uh, conclude between me and Kaiser. I mean, that's what we took to court. Mm. That is binding. That Volcom is bound by that. That's the first thing. And then uh, at the end of the order, it says, okay, we need to get into negotiations which the CEO uh, doesn't need to be part of. Yeah? And then in the event of a deadlock, the matter must be referred to the CEO to determine reasonable compensation in terms of the agreement. They always want to wish that JAFTA never said in terms of the agreement. But JAFTA was, 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 was very spot on and he put that, I'm sure, deliberately intent. He meant it to be there in terms of the agreement that was concluded. And that is very simple. It's an agreement of revenue share and a percentage of revenue share. And that's all that we actually had to negotiate about, you know. But, that, but they, wish, they somehow wish that was not inserted in the order. But it's there, you know. And that's what we really take into to the to the to review you received a, you know quite quite a lot of support from political figures i mean msc uh, for education panyaza le sufi has been on very vocal on twitter and there's been a, a please call me movement that's that's been created uh, subsequently which um had a shutdown last week uh, what do you make of this support and uh, what impact has it made on you no, I mean, the, the support is welcome. I mean, I think I've been in, the, in, a, in this battle for 18 years, and, and I've been running it and doing it uh, on my own. And, I mean, if South Africans are aggrieved and identify with the cause that I've, I've been uh, uh, pushing and, and on my own and fighting in all the courts and stuff, I mean, that support is welcome. South Africans, as I've said, I mean, in many uh, forums, uh, are, are, are by nature activists. And then if they identify with the cause and support it, it's their choice and they are, they are entitled to do that. And I cannot come here, stand up and say that I don't welcome that support. Indeed, I mean, it's, it's, it does help because, you know, this is not something that can only affect Nkosana Makate. I mean, there will be other people as well, uh, you know, that can find themselves in, the, in such situations and people can identify with that. I mean, the back and forth has taken about, you know, 10 years and you've been called a liar, greedy. I mean, how have you dealt with all of this? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I take them in my stride. I mean, I, I understand where they are coming from. Uh, the facts, the facts will, will be laid out. The facts will, will talk to, 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 to all these uh, uh, allegations that people put out there. I'm not a greedy person. I've always been fair. I mean, look at, uh, uh, go to my media statement that I released. Mr. Alan Craig Jr. gets 85% uh, revenue share from his vest product. Uh, PCM uh, is a vest. I propose 15%. I mean, what's greedy about that? I don't understand where this thing is coming from, honestly. Just because his product was, was actually uh, not so successful. I mean, had it been successful and generated multi-billions, he'd get his 85%. And nobody will come and get that is greedy. I but mean, it's just that PCM has been so successful, you know, that now people will want to bend the names and stuff and all those things and call me names. It's just that I had a gem of a product. 
you know. So why, why, why mustn't I care what's due to me <laughs> as an inventor? Um, has it, I mean, or has all this controversy that's, you know, been taking place, has this caused any strain on your personal, you know, family and your professional life? No, no, no. I mean, obviously, I mean, these things do affect you. I cannot say that they don't. But but um, I'm a strong and resilient person. And, and uh, I'm not faced because the facts I know. And I think South Africa would learn. Uh, the story of PCM is not complete. Uh, when, when, when this thing reaches its fruition and completion, people will then say, wow, indeed, is this what uh, actually transpired and happened here? You know? And so, so how far are you willing to take you know, this fight and what keeps you going? Uh, I've, 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 this, is, this, this is a marathon. I mean, uh, and I see it uh, as that. And I think I've ran the, the largest part of it. I mean, the most grueling part of this, of this whole thing for me and the most stressful part has been those fast negotiations. I mean, these things were not negotiations. You know, people just rocked up there to push their agendas and stuff like that with no intent of actually negotiating with me in good faith. Their, their purpose, their sole purpose was just to push this thing to the CEO and hope that the CEO can just determine whatever that he determines. I mean, this thing was probably predetermined anyway, you know. So so those are not negotiations. And unfortunately, I was kept there for three years in that process, you know. Had it ended earlier, I mean, I would have probably been complete now. They've gone to court and the court would have actually ruled on, on the facts. So what advice would you have for, for someone who finds themselves in a similar Goliath versus David situation? Uh, I mean, people, people should not uh, think that anything is impossible. I mean, if you believe in your cause, if you believe uh, uh, in, 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 in what you're doing as right and it has integrity and it has honor, do not give up on it. It doesn't matter how, how bleak it may seem. But, but take the fight and, and, and roll with the punches. You know, that's Thanks. what I can advise people. And I mean, also be much more clever. Huh? I mean, uh, I was, I was, I was uh, depending on good faith. I went there. I mean, uh, thinking that people would act honestly. Uh, I mean, uh, today I think you need to take other precautions. Make sure that you patent uh, if you do have an idea that you believe in. Patent it. Approach a lawyer, even if it's just a basic agreement. Make sure that it's in place. Don't rely on, on the good faith. And, and I mean, I had to literally construct uh, uh, and, and prove to the court that uh, the agreement was struck through conversations and emails that I had, you know, and stuff like that. And uh, I mean, people, it, it's that's much more difficult than having a written agreement that lays out, I mean, all the, the terms and stuff and all those things. So I would advise people to do that. Thank you so much, Nkosana, for your time. Um, and just Jay, the learnings from, from that session with Nkosana Makate is that it's so important to uh, not just only rely on uh, good faith and uh, verbal agreements, but sometimes it's best if you can, as early as possible, to go that extra mile, patent your ideas if you can, and uh, make sure that you protect your, um, in, you know, your IP. So, furthermore, we also wanted to hear what the people on the ground had to say. So, we're going to hear what the, the voices of the people say. I sincerely believe Vodacom is entitled to pay the guy. If you consider all the adverts that comes with, uh, please call me. It started off plain, but over some years they started incorporating different um, advertisement. So th those don't come cheap, believe me, and it has no peak hours. So consider the fact that each and every year, each and every company gives a budget of a specific advertisement, and they also consider the peak hours. And for the poor guy, shame, it was just rolled down plain. So I felt that. That, um, he's entitled to however amount it is. And if they want to make it a more accurate amount, they should go back to the very first, please call me. And then, because everything is done through um, satellite, they can pick it up. Thank you. Hi. I, I feel like this guy should really, really be paid. Vodacom owes him a lot. Um, I mean, I, I used, I used, uh, used um, please call me so many times in my day, so many times in my... And I feel like Vodacom has made so much money from Africa. And they really, really, this, whatever, they, whatever they're owing to this gentleman is quite a small portion of what they're able to make from our people. So he deserves every cent of it. Thank you. Um, okay, basically I think that 
wherever someone puts in work and comes up with an idea, like he should be given credit for that, you know. So no matter how big Vodacom can be, for the fact that they didn't have this thing at first, like I feel like they should give the credit where it's due. So yeah, that's just how I feel about it. I feel like the potentially the bigger companies can get, they try and wiggle their way out of certain things that can come about. They'll try and figure their way out of things to not need to pay so much. Yeah, so I think um, when it comes to corporate, um, there's a difference between what you do in school, what you study, and what you do when you get to the corporate world is impractical. So I, I believe with, he, with this whole Vodacom saga thing, um, the guy needs to be paid the amount of money because to be honest, Minang Pilang, please call me. So it's such a great invention that I feel like even seventy billion is actually even less. He has to be he actually has to earn money every year that is gonna even amount to more than just seventy billion. You're tuned in to the business bus. Welcome back to the show. Now to, now this is the part of the show where we get like some you know, insight from a business person who is, uh, his job title is investment analyst and uh, his uh, company and firm is a secret for now. Um, <laughs> don't don't ask me why. He he knows why. But we are joined by the phenomenal Josi Tipokwane. Am I saying your name? So, right. Josi Tipokwane, 100%. Awesome, Thank awesome, you. awesome. And we're just going to get a business perspective um, from him sure. on, uh, on, corporate, on, on corporate ethics. And what we want to know is, what is ethical behavior in a business environment, Josi? Cool. That's that's a very good question, right? And um, what's funny is that on my way here, I, I was chatting to a colleague of mine, and we're, we're chatting about gravity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we chat about <laughs> funny stuff like that. We were chatting about gravity, and our conversation really was about the fact that one can't really say what gravity is, mm. right? One can never really define it properly. Sure, you can go as far as say it's a force and and all of that, but one can never really get to the true essence of gravity. But essentially what one does is that one speaks about the effects that one witnesses from gravity, mm. right? And, and, and it's funny because I think from that conversation, I realized that it's quite similar when it comes to business ethics as well, right? Yeah. So one would be somewhat misplaced if one were to say ethical behavior or business ethics is ABC, mm. right? As opposed to saying that business ethics has to do with um, certain effects that come about from, from corporate action um, that has, you know, certain implications for society and people. So, so on the basis of that, I think, I think probably the best way to look at it would be through effects, right? And if you're looking at it through the effects, is who are the parties most relevant within this whole thing? And like three, three, three individuals come into mind, right? So, so looking at business ethics and trying to understand it from an effects perspective, you start thinking about individuals within business, right? And how, how they conduct themselves, right? So we're not as you uh, within corporate X, how, how, how are you acting? Um, within that particular structure, right? So that's, that's the individuals. Two, it's, it's about the organization itself, right? And, and just how things are structured by the, the actual organization. And, and probably the third thing would be, you know, looking at stuff as like business within the context of society as a whole. And that gets very interesting because now, as you see, there's a lot of, you know, stuff pertaining to ESG, right? Environments and social governance. So that, that, that's even ethics, but not so much about the business itself, but about how business is embedded within the societal context. So, so, so that's uh, is a bit of a mouthful in terms of, you know, understanding what business ethics is, but it's really essentially about looking at the effects and looking at the parties who are most affected by that being individuals within the business themselves, the actual organizational structure of the business and, and the broader society. That's proper Big Bang Theory conversation, yeah. hey? <laughs> the effects of gravity. What's the importance? What's, what's the importance of having clearly defined corporate ethics and ethical behavior? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, th- I think I think this goes back to looking at the role of of business and 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 just the general corporation as a whole, right? So it was interesting. I was listening to something. As you can hear, I I, I take a lot of people's ideas and thoughts and, <laughs> and I just bring them forth. But patent them, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's probably yeah. That's probably a good. That's that's a good suggestion. So so like I was, I was listening. And someone mentioned that you know the role of the corporation in business has changed so much over the past uh, hundred years, whereby corporations 
and when businesses as a whole just you know they control where we eat um they control how we communicate and they control how we how we travel amongst many other things right and that's that becomes very interesting because that speaks to an element of autonomy that's not been taken away from the individual right so now as clingy with despite the fact that you're standing here in as as the person you are this belief that what you ate now was was a result of some sort of you know business processes i mean you refer to it as marketing or advertising anything of that sort but your autonomy has is somewhat been taken and displaced from you as an individual is now placed and controlled by 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 businesses and corporates and as a result of this um it's very important to get some sort of regulation and some sort of ethical framework mm. because these guys or well, the business itself is so much so responsible for so much of you as a person that it needs to be regulated within some sort of framework right mm. and that's that's really where the role of an ethical framework comes in right because in as much as like we said your autonomy in a sense has been somewhat misplaced or taken um it's similar to like a, a child right um if you think about a child and a legal guardian right that's the that's the same thing an autonomy has been taken away and autonomy is only justified if the person or the the being who's then responsible for your autonomy is one um better position to serve your interest than you are or two has greater ability than you right um and 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 essentially that's that's what the ethical framework is meant to do and as far as your autonomy is being somewhat taken an ethical framework is supposed to uh allow that organization and business to make sure that it's one um you know serving your interests as an individual whether within the very business or within society or you know the three frame the three aspects that we spoke about earlier so that's that's really the role of the framework the ethical framework is about ensuring that business interests are aligned with with with, with society and aligned with the individual that was that was that was that was insight. I just want to find out what 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 are some of the criteria uh, for ethical decision making? Yeah, um, you know, so there's the whole King Code and King Report, and I think they're on the fourth version now. And essentially, what it is, it provides you with a set of principles and guidelines that corporates are supposed to follow. So, what's interesting about the fourth one, which is the latest, if, if I'm not mistaken, is that it speaks more about transparency and accountability. And effectively, it's about ensuring that you know um, when businesses make decisions, they are considering um, the people who are on the receiving end. Not only are they considering them in the decision-making process, but they're also quite uh, they're also quite accountable to them, right? Um, so, so, so I suppose that's probably just like at a real more normative sort of approach. So, in terms of trying to get A, B, C, right? Um, you, you refer to stuff like you know, the King Code, right? It's, it gives you principle A, B, and C, and this is what one, and this is what a corporate needs to do in order to be acting in an ethically right way, right? But, but I think also beyond that, one should perhaps also maybe go back to, to, to the the beginning of corporates and business and try to understand what was the purpose then and see how that has morphed over time and see whether that is still um, um, relevant today because I mean just last year sometime I was watching a documentary called The Corporation which is it's quite interesting you should check it out if you get, a, get an opportunity um, the, the corporation is quite interesting because what it does is that it tracks the establishment of business right um, from the 17th century till now and it really starts to point out and you start to see that the role that business had back in the day and the role that the business is playing today is completely different. So, I mean, in the corporation, the documentary itself, they speak about within the 17th century where a corporation was created um, primarily to serve the interests of public, right? The public people. So it was never about making profit. It was never about you know, competing in this, in, as, as, as they tend to compete now. But essentially it was about, okay, there's individuals, there's society, um, and there needs to be a way to channel certain goods to these very same people. And, you know, that's, that's, that's quite interesting, because if you also look at a second story in terms of the emergence of the corporation, it goes back to, like, the monarch, right? So the monarch back in the thing, it was also, like, 16th, 17th century as well, um, they created... Um, the corporation or business framework, right, structure as a way to assist in the exhibitions and the discovery process, right? So you see back when they were still trying to discover <laughs> Africa and everyone else, they, they essentially coupled that within the corporation. And the idea behind the business was that they're going to take, um, invest the money and channel that through this particular structure and ensure that someone's, the investor's liability is limited, right? Um, and once again, referring to those two stories, one can see that the common denominator within that was just, you know, 
serving the interest of people, right? Mm. Serving the interests of the public. Mm. And then, you know, we moved on to the Industrial Revolution, we moved on to, to the Civil War, and business started to expand even further, right? So mm. that's when, uh, you know, manufacturing uh, industry started, you know, started yeah. to boom, and, you know, roadworks and all these infrastructure stuff. And even then, that was also created with the purpose of serving the interest of people. So that was always the case. Um, but then until the end of like the Civil War, when the 14th Amendment was, uh, was passed, right? The 14th Amendment Act, which essentially gave rise to, to, to black people and, and slaves and all of that. Mm. Then that's when lawyers then started pleading and claiming that a business should have the same rights as, as, as an individual. And essentially that's when we started moving to the point that we are now, where now a business is no longer essentially something that was formed serve the interests of the people, but it's something that now exists in its in, on its own, right? So, so I think just, you know, going back to this question in terms of what is the criteria for, for, for ethical decision-making, right? I think at, at, at a surface level, one can then say, okay, look at King Code, look at King Report, but at a more philosophical, fundamental level, it's like, what was the, what was the point of business in day, on day one, right? Go back to basics, um, to serve public interest. Mm. So when making a decision, are you serving public interest? If the answer to that is no, then, then, then clearly you're not acting in an ethically sufficient sound. manner. Mm. Sound manner, yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> I feel you there. And so, like, uh, how do corporates avoid finding themselves in hot water over ethical disputes? Mm, 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 mm. Hey, they, they're constantly in hot water these days. <laughs> constantly. It's, it's bad. <laughs> it's bad. I, I, I suppose the first thing would be, like, do the right thing, right? And, mm. I, and it, sounds, it's, it, sounds, it sounds a bit superficial, right? But it's, it's, it's do the right thing um, because you avoid the water by, by not going towards it, right? Mm. And trying to stay away from it in as much, in, in whatever way possible. So, so the first thing would be do the right thing. But as I said, that's probably a more superficial kind of at face value like statement. But I think in terms of just avoiding hot water, I, I think maybe corporates need to look at it in two, two, two phases, right? So I like to think of it in terms of like pre-crisis and post-crisis, right? So, so, so pre-crisis would be a case of diagnosing, you know, eliminating and, and repairing, right? Because the thing is, unethical behavior is not a, uh, a something that just happens at that very moment, mm. right? It's not quite um, it's at this particular up. time. It's a build-up, mm. yeah, 100%. Right? It's a build-up. So, so there were lots of things leading up to a point where firm A is then seen as being unethical, right? But if, if, if that firm was able to diagnose that, you know, that this behavior that we're doing on is sort of, it's still somewhat right in some sense, but it's leaning towards the wrong side, uh, you know, they're able to diagnose that problem and then they start eliminating it and then repairing what little damage was then caused. Then they can essentially, you know, um, avo avoid avoid this crisis, right? And that's why I'm like, this is more of like a pre-crisis uh, approach to, to avoiding the hot water. Um, but, but then I suppose maybe post-crisis wise, and I think this is the biggest thing and I mean, personally it really frustrates me, it's just owning the problem. Mm. Um, mostly when you see corporates are when corporates get implicated into certain things, they take a very long time before they, they like, I know, various us, right? Mm. They take a while. It's, it's always a case of, you know, we're still, we're still you know, um, reading into it, yeah. you know, um, or we're having an inquiry or anything of that sort, right? It takes a while, then only later the on, it's like... The task team has been... <laughs> you see, exactly, task team and, and everything. It takes, it, it, takes, it takes a minute before, yeah. before they come out right and be like, hey, this is what we've done. Um, these are the implications and this is why we're sorry. And lastly, this is how we sort of going to make up for it right mm. and i suppose this dovetails well with, with the second part of this post-crisis aspect is that even when going back to sort of you know to fix for what they've done they, they need to corporates need to you know do it in a manner that's you know it's commensurate with the initial offense right and you know without 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 um you know shaming engineering companies anything of that sort but what you see like just engineering companies and all these companies within like extractive industries who are typically associated with like damaging the environment and all of that um, you know on the news that this is what they're doing is bad to society then they started rolling up a whole lot of you know miseries and stuff right as a way to sort of give back to the very same communities that they were you know uh, misplacing and treating in the wrong way but those very same bursaries tie those students to the very same firm coming back right mm. so what you have is like Sure, you're trying to mitigate, not necessarily even mitigate, but you're trying to repair what you've done. But the way in which you're repairing it does, does not even equate to the sort of damage that you've done, right? Mm. So it's like for me, so let's say you're eating something, let's say you're eating your steak. I steal your steak, then I buy back, I buy a pizza that we both share. Mm. That, that, that's kind of the same approach, right? So they're still benefiting in trying to 
apparently repair, repair what they did. So, so I, th- I think, I think, so from a post-crisis level, just to sort of sum up this idea, is that you know it's it's, it's about owning up, um, you know, going out and saying this is what we've done, this is how we've done it wrong, and then lastly, importantly, it's about this is how we fix it, and fixing it in a way that. Um, not only takes back people to where they were before, but essentially to put them in a, a, a much better place. So someone has beef with engineering companies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in finance. I'm in finance. Yeah. Uh, so what are the competitive advantages and disadvantages, if any, that are um, associated with business ethics? Mm, 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 mm. I think I think with with with, with disadvantages is a bit is a bit difficult, right? Because I mean. I did, Reduction in profits, maybe. Yeah, you know, mm, mm. And, I, and maybe, term. yeah, short term. Mm. And right, and I think short term is probably the best way to look at it because I think, I think it might lie more in the process, right, as opposed to some sort of outcome, mm. right? Because acting ethically takes time, right? Mm. Let's be honest, right? If we want to get something done, it's easier if we're like, hey, you know what? Like just just sign this quickly, yeah. right? So 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 perhaps maybe the, the biggest disadvantage at, at at the onset is that it takes time, right? So it could be seen as being inefficient, right? It makes you very slow to move because you still hold back on you know trying to get the right stuff in in place, right? So maybe that's the one thing, and and connected to that is that because it takes time and it's, it's somewhat irritating to so many people, it might not necessarily make it a popular thing, right? So so with those who are uh, you know corporates that that and individuals, but then corporates that act ethically tend to not be the ones that are most liked, right? Um, so shame, we're not just from doing the right thing, suddenly you're not even being invited for, for drinks off the way. You know, it's, you're just no longer the, the popular person. So, so maybe that's, that's probably the biggest disadvantage is in the process, in terms of acting, acting um, um, or, or behaving in an ethical way. It takes time. Um, from, 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 and, and oh, it just came to mind as well. And I think also that another thing is just, a disadvantage is when a commitment is made but is not really followed through, right? Mm. So if you look at the auditing firms, what was what was what was the, the the biggest problem with that was not the fact. I mean, sure they acted and didn't act in the right manner, but the problem is that they hold themselves to a particular standard and they tend to sort of commit to acting ethically. Mm. So the the commitment and the action was you misaligned. Know, was misaligned, mm. you know. So so that's also the biggest disadvantage is that. If you commit when acting in, in terms of acting ethically, uh, make sure that when you commit to something that, that you, your action follows suit, right? Um, and just to quickly wrap up, I suppose from an advantage perspective, I think it's just really just saving you in the long run. Um, when things are done correctly, you know, in the short term, it's not going to come back and bite you um, on your behind afterwards, mm-hmm. right? So, so everything is in place and everything will do well. And I suppose lastly, there's maybe also a sort of business case for it, right? If, if, if you're acting well, um, you're acting ethically, Essentially, you're good for society, and society will be good for you. And society essentially is, is where your your business is, what drives your business, right? So, so maybe there's also a bit of a business case to acting ethically. And once they they find corporates find themselves in this hot water, what's mm. the best way to deal with like ethical dilemmas? Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, I, I think th- these days there's there's so much there's so much information available and so much opinion in terms of. Um, what's but what's the best way to approach this, right? So, I mean, assuming, and I think this is maybe what the law does. The law seems to somewhat equate ethics with with, with legality, right? Um, the, the best way really is to, is to solicit the best legal advice that one can get, right? Um, because that's just typically, you know, it gives you a some sort of gives you some some direction in terms of how best to approach what you're dealing with. So, so the best way I think would be, you know, soliciting some some legal advice, but also at the same time soliciting advice from from those who are most likely most who are most affected by um, the sort of dilemmas in which the, the corporate may find themselves in. So whether that be individuals within the very same organization or individuals that the organization is serving, um, it's very important to, to somewhat get the perspective um, in terms of what's the view and how best to navigate it. Because at the end of the day, all ethics is, is just a, a way of, of, of navigating mm-hmm. um, relationships and, 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 and society, right? It's, it's nothing more than just a, a robot and street rules for life, right? So um, so, so, so the best way to understand it is by really engaging with people who are stakeholders within the entire system and try to figure out what works best for, for everyone involved. What's the stains in the ethics code? Mm. What's the stains in the ethics code? I, I think it's probably adherence to it, which um, probably, probably seems somewhat counterintuitive. Um, because essentially when a, a code is adhered to, then it becomes best practice, right? And when it becomes best practice, then it's, it's, it's so easy to, to follow through. And, then, and that's the thing about the world of business, right? The world of business, no one does anything original. 
Um, I mean, just now you were speaking to the gentleman from, from Vodacom, right, with the police call. Now, every network has a police call, right? So it's pretty much the same thing. So if, if corporate A and B adhere to a code of, code of ethics, then best believe that other corporates within this very same space are going to do the same because that's just the nature of business. It's, 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 it's a copy method. And, and that's probably the best way to do it because if once we start moving away and we don't adhere, then there's going to be revisions of, of the ethics, right, or of, of the code, right? And once we've got revisions of the code, then now these different interpretations and we're just going to begin this, this spiral and we're just going to keep going back. So, so the best way is really to adhere to it, establish best, establish best practices, and on the back of that, um, then, you know, that will somewhat then multiply itself across society. We could listen to Khosi talk about business all ah, evening. We could listen yeah. all evening. But uh, because time is not on our side, um, so we just want to thank you for your time and uh, imparting all of that knowledge and wisdom with us. Um, Thanks, stay, stay tuned. Thank you. Thank you so much for to our to our listeners that came in t- today. So we had a show today that was focusing on corporate ethics, and we were just getting an understanding of what is ethics. What is this monster called business and corporate ethics? You know, and uh, and how does one navigate around it? You know, we heard from um, as our 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 guests today. First, we had uh, Vodacom's uh, "Please Call Me" uh, inventor, who is uh, Mr. Kosana Kosana Makate, who just gave us insight on his side of the story. We spoke to uh, Vodacom, and they gave us their perspective of uh, of the current uh, debates that's happening with regards to the uh, uh, "Please Call Me" saga. And then we also just had insight. Um, from a business perspective from Hossi and on business ethics being a way of navigating through life and it's how you go about it um, that best determines how you you know succeed in this in this definition of business ethics shortcuts do not pay off in the long run so um, uh, don't forget that we are found on uh, Voice of Vits FM 88.1 on social media we are at Facebook Vow FM Voice of Vits and Vits Radio Academy on Twitter we are at of our FM and our hashtag is business buzz on WhatsApp we are 084-078-4912 and our podcasts are available on on uh, on www.vits.journalism.co.za slash business um, uh, just before we leave I just want to find out from um, um, well, well we'll find out next time actually we'll chat to Grinch I want to you know get a bit more Grinch involved in this show but you know what I'm going to spare him this time around but don't worry from next week guys I want to get Grinch's in, in input um, but with that we've reached the end of our show tonight I want to thank our technical producer Kutluano Serame our executive producer Simba Honde um, don't miss the business buzz which is same time next week for more insight into the world of business next week have on the on the VFM lineup, a living electro from myself, Tlingi Bazondo, and the rest of the team. Take care. You're tuned in to the business bus. The business bus podcast.